Ayatollah of Fantasy Rock and Roll with us today. Adam Rank, how are you doing, Rank? Um, you look great in person, and I uh, just can't wait to next year we, we can pack it full of 25,000. Hey, Bob, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I didn't know it was Ball Guys Day. It was me and Rank. I mean, how do you lose? This is the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. Hello there and welcome to Season 3, Episode 9 of the Behind the Grind series here on the Dynasty Vipers Vipercast. I'm Matt Donnelly and today I am joined by one of the pioneers of fantasy football, a fantasy football Hall of Famer, a man who has not only forgotten more about fantasy sports than I will ever know, but one who has changed and trailblazed the fantasy industry time and time again. He is the one and only Emil Cadillac. How are you doing, Emil? I'm doing pretty good on this Friday, and I appreciate you letting me on your show. I mean, I, I'm I'm looking forward to this. This is one of those shows I've been um, hyped about getting into. There's so much to learn, so much to learn from me, from you. So I'm, I'm looking to kick this off right off the get-go. But the first thing we always have to start with is, if you were a baseball closer and you were coming in in the ninth inning, what would that music be to kind of pop? To get you to introduce you to the people. Now I know there's some obscure 60s and 70s artists and bands that could possibly come up going back to your red top records and tape days, but what <laughs> is that one song? What is that band you want to kind of play to introduce you? Wow. Uh there's so many, but uh I was a huge Todd Rundgren fan. I was a huge um ELO, Electric Light Orchestra, probably an ELO song. Just gonna let the ELO go and see what happens there. Oh, yeah, yeah they got the you dramatic, you know, electric orchestra stuff that they could probably do there's a guy that nobody remembers his name's billy stewart he's a rhythm and blues guy passed away in a wreck early 70s he's got a couple really wonderful songs but they're they're more romantic and whatnot as opposed to bang bang by the way cal cal uh calvin cook just got released by minnesota yeah, I see that Delvin Cook, he's kind of gone. So now he's kind of, we were, we were talking about Minnesota. We're talking about possibly Denver. We're talking about possibly needing to change my rankings here that I just submitted the other yeah, day. So change those rankings. And uh, well, we'll see how it goes here because there's certain press time on the next magazine. We may, maybe he'll be somewhere by then, but at least we know he's gone. Anyway, sorry about that. No, no we'll worries. Hey, we've got in. breaking news. Yeah, those, those are the two bands that, that hit me. And Russ Ballard's probably got a few. I, I love Russ Ballard. Used to be with Argent. You probably know none of these bands. Well, I, I'm a big ELO guy too. I, I listened to it. I got a couple CDs, maybe not the records, but I got the CDs, no eight tracks or anything fancy. But I do have my own little binder. I am a big 60s, 70s, 80s kind of guy oh. for me. I can't get into the 90s music. I can't really get into the 2000s. I'm a little bit old school. So I, I can do some great rhythm and blues. There was some great rhythm and blues music in the 60s and early 70s. Fantastic stuff. Millions of them that uh, really are great, great old stuff to listen to. So when people see me, they, they see the cowboy hat from occasion, they automatically assume country music for me. But hey, I can get down with the funk. I love myself some funk music too from time to time. So yeah, hey, different strokes for different folks when it comes to music tastes. Now, okay. one thing I need to know is we have all been affected by sports and sometimes at some point in our career. How did you get into sports? And then how did sports develop you as a youth? Like what kind of sports did you play growing up? And who were some of the players that you looked up to? Bob Hayes for the Dallas Cowboys was one of the guys. I was in the early 60s, lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which I still do right now. And that was the only, that was the only you know, weekly team that they played. So I fell in love with the Dallas Cowboys. I apologize in advance, or I guess post-advance. But yeah, it was the Dallas Cowboys. I, I was a dyslexic child, and I'm still, now I'm a dyslexic adult. So I was very insecure, extremely insecure when I was in, you know, elementary school and whatnot. And so being, you know, a kid and watching the Dallas Cowboys, Cowboys as they started to get better in the late 60s, you know, you connect to that to give you this feeling of, uh, you know, that you, you you lose the insecurity when you you get into a team. Now I'm 65, I don't really need that anymore. But that was important to me when I was a very young child. So I played football. I never really played it, you know, in high school. I wish I had. I was too chicken to do it. But I'd take my friends out in the front yard. I was always playing football. 
it was just very important to me with, in my youth and now. Oh, I would love to get out there now and start to run some routes, but the, the hips don't quite do what they once did. But the one thing is I've always appreciated this as an adult now more than anything is my time to coach. I mean, I get out there with a bunch of different teams. I coach hockey. I coach rugby. I coach football, basketball. I just love the whole fact of mentoring young individuals there and kind of molding them and not just teaching them about the game, but teaching them about life lessons down the road, things that are not just going to be what you learn right now. It's not just about football. We want to learn about life. And I think that's something that football, even as kids, we learned lessons that we didn't realize were lessons growing up, right? We go out there, whether it's the camaraderie with a friend, some of those lifelong friends that you met in the sand lot when you're playing some pickup ball just for fun. So, I mean, Football is one of those transistent type sports and sports in general, just to kind of teaches you lessons much later on in life. Someone who's been around the game as long as you have, who was faster, Bullet Bob Hayes or Cliff Branch? Well, Hayes was the fastest man in the world uh, during his some of his stay uh, with the Cowboys. So I would have to say him. By the way, trivia question, Emmett Smith wore number 22, right? Yes, who was the first player on the Cowboys to wear number 22? I'm going to go with Bob Hayes, just because we were Very just talking good. about him. Yes, it was, it was too easy. I mean, it, I, if, if, it would have, if it would have been anyone but Bob Hayes, I would have had more questions than answers when it came down to it. So, <laughs> Yeah, I now, actually uh, adopted my wife's uh, grandson uh, several years ago, and we got him into flag football. He never played it before, and it was exactly what you were talking about. It was a great experience, great bonding experience. And I helped, you know, coach him and coach the team a little bit. I wasn't the main coach, but I would help kids. This one kid showed up and our coach was all mad at him because he was kind of groggy. And I taught him how to play end. This is flag football. And at the end of the year, this guy walks up to me and it was his dad. And he says, hey, thanks for teaching my kid. And he said, we stay up late on Friday night till like two in the morning. So he's always tired. I'm like, really? Really? You did that to a kid? But he he recognized that I was helping his kid. He could have got out there and done it too, but I guess he was too tired. Hey, you know, we don't, and that's the thing. We don't know what other people are going through, right? We don't know that what their true. situations are at home too. So I said, thank you. And I was glad to help the kid. He didn't know what he was doing. He was tired all the time. The coach was mad. And then I found out what had happened and I just helped him. I just in between plays or before at halftime, I showed him how to go, how to keep uh, a guy from going around the end where you go on the outside and make him come in. Because everybody wants to ole when when people are running in flag football, and that's the wrong way to uh, play the game. Nothing wrong with blowing contain and then hearing about it from the coach when you come off, right? As soon as that contain's blown, you're the you're on an island out there. You're by yourself. I mean, it's like, oh well, I guess that was my gotta, guy. I mean, got to turn them back in. You got to get outside with them and turn them back in, and then go for the flag. And at least they're going towards the rest of your team instead of running. And they have to change their speed anyway. Teaching kids no, to play football. I mean, that, that, that's that's a valuable lesson that's that's one of those kind of things that it changes your trajectory of life from time to time too just being able to educate those but let's talk about a decision maybe in your life that changed the direct the trajectory of your career now some were probably considering you crazy way back when when you kind of left that uh, sandia national laboratory after 15 years to pursue fantasy sports which was pretty much in its infant stages way back when so kind of is that the biggest maybe change in trajectory of your life? Maybe making that decision in life? Yeah, pretty much. That was 96, February of 96. And I was a manager. I just got a manager for three years. So, I mean, I'm sitting in a sweet spot at Sandy National Laboratories and I quit. And one of my friends, he came into the office and he sat down. And he goes, so you're leaving Sandia? Yep. So you're a manager? Yep. So you're going to leave and go do fantasy football? Yep. You know, like, are you crazy? <laughs> it worked out okay. I mean, it transitioned quite nicely. You made quite the career out of it. I mean, the accolades line up, everything in fantasy sports. But that we're talking about fantasy sports at its infant stages. There was some stuff. I mean, there's fantasy sports been around since the late 80s, early 90s. But 96, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to go by. We're talking fax machines. We're talking letter subscription services here. We're not talking about the internet here. We're not talking about email lists or uh ebooks or anything like that we're this is trailblazing type thing there was not a whole it was like the wild west still of fantasy sports and you made that decision to go from a nice secure job to relatively the unknown a lot of people i talk to today making that transition at least they know now what they're getting into when you made yeah. that move did you really know what you were getting into 
Well, I'd actually started the business in 90. So our first magazine was 1990. So I spent several years there thinking, you know, starting to build that a little bit and thinking, okay, yeah, there's there's the pro forecast started in 90. So, you know, after about five, six years there or seven, I finally decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And uh, so I had time. To, it wasn't like I was blindly walking into it without having any experience. So that helped a lot. Well, but, yeah, hey, pretty crazy. A lot of us are glad you made that step. But I mean, for a lot of us, me included, I mean, I would love to get into fantasy sports full time. I think there's a lot of people that would love to get into fantasy sports long full time. But first off, there's not a whole lot of full time positions out there in the industry. And a lot of people, it's hard to leave that comfort zone of what you know, right? If you, I know for myself, being in a position I've been in for 20 years, if I would just leave that, I don't know if I could do that. I mean, it's a tough decision for someone to make just a, hey, here we go. We're going to go get, make it a go. I know people who've done it. I mean, kudos to them. That's not something I don't think many people can just do. I mean, not only being able to like having that mindset to do it, like, hey, this is I'm going to make this happen. This is what's going to happen. But to leave the comfort zone. And oh, yeah. uh, Sandia was probably quite the comfort zone there it's comfortable it's a pretty comfortable job everybody can complain about their job but that place was a great place to work uh, very professional people good benefits hard to get fired <laughs> a lot of stuff like that so hard to leave that company but i guess i just had a fire in me i wanted to have my own business for whatever crazy reason that was and uh, so i decided to do it i decided it was a comfortable enough time to do that so off i went well, like I said, the industry is glad you made that move. And this was a move well, back in... first magazine. Like you said, there were a lot of people. Cliff Carpentier had a magazine yeah. book. There was a lot of books in the 80s until... And then we had... Um, oh, gosh. Off the top of my head. Grogan's came out in like 86. Uh, Index came out in 87 or something like that. I may have the dates wrong. And then uh, uh, Krause with Greg Ambrosius, they came out. In that same time frame, they started with baseball. There was a lot of stuff going on. Foolish me at 1990. I had no idea none of this stuff was out there. If I'd have known, I probably wouldn't have done it. But uh, I started out, and then a year later, I went, oh, my gosh, there's there's a few mags already out there. And, of course, that changed a lot. There's a million of them now. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, because you, you'd have a better understanding than I do on this. But in that early 90s, it wasn't – national like fantasy football wasn't it definitely wasn't global but it wasn't really national it's more of a territorial type thing right you like you said you didn't know that the index maybe was there when you first started your magazine you didn't know grogan's was you know what i mean it, it seemed like everything was kind of territorial based on fantasy uh sports in general not just fantasy football but everything kind of had their areas of the country that they were kind of working in rather than it being this national thing that we see today well they were nationally distributed back then you know, maybe not a large draw, but you know, when I when I went to the newsstand in 89, you didn't see a fantasy. I didn't see one in my town. So you'd get the normal magazine, and you're going, well, I want to compare the receivers together. I want to compare the running backs together. I don't want just a review of the uh, St. Louis Rams. I want to be able to draft in these drafts. And I didn't see anything. So oh, I'll form a magazine when. They were out there. I just didn't see them because the distribution wasn't as big at that point, which is what you said. And that, that's probably one of the biggest differences today compared to when you first started. But let's talk about some maybe those other changes in the industry in itself and even yourself, because you've had to learn a lot along the way. We're 2023. The game has changed and you've been able to keep up with the game and adjust. And I know you run a lot of uh, electrical um, computer type stuff now, too, with uh, the diehards and Bob Harris and stuff like that, some of the behind the scenes stuff. But I just kind of talk about some of the biggest changes in the industry now versus then, and then in yourself now versus then. What's interesting is 1990, we came out with the pro forecast and we forecasted player data in 1990, first one that, that did that. And people gave us crap for it. You know, I remember on one message board, some guy said, my butt could store 10 touchdowns what the pro forecast and i went through the data and i replied back to him and i said well look at the data we have and look at what happened the last year and the year before and then the guy apologized but people fear things and they decided to be mean to me for whatever it's easy to be mean over a, over a computer screen or whatever so that that was actually a change right then and of course you know a lot of things ppr came along 
there wasn't 4-6-6-20-10-10 back then. A lot of it was basic scoring back then. Uh, most of it was Dynasty. I started a Dynasty in 1981, and it was a spinoff of a league that started in 1978. And it's Dynasty. I still run the league. Oh, I don't run it. The commissioner runs it because I'm too lazy. So whatever that is, uh, 81 to 23, it's over 40 years, 22, 20, 42, 43 years. 42, so yeah. That was interesting. And then, of course, redraft actually may have been around at the time. Of course, baseball in 1990 was big, 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 big. And and football eventually overtook uh, baseball over the last, next few years and after maybe a strike or two. And so, you know, as you progress in there, you got PPR, you got a lot of rule changes. You've got, you know, once computers got in there and a, a lot of these guys, including my fantasy league and Austin, um, Kevin Austin, and of course, uh, Mike Hall, who are getting, uh, who have, have won the, been in the Hall of Fame, who are now inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, in about uh, next week in the Fantasy Gaming and Trade Association. And that was a very huge honor for both of them. Unfortunately, uh, Kevin Austin's passed away, but those guys are starting starting uh, commissioner tools and there were other people starting the commissioner tools. And of course that made a huge big difference is, is commissioner tools. Cause then you didn't have to do all the, all the work by hand. And let's face it, you know, a lot of commissioners, you know, they say, I don't want to do this anymore. And if nobody picks it up, the league dies. So once you got technology going, uh, you um, really grew the, the whole thing grew. And of course, as you got the internet in around 95, 96, 97, people could start seeing all these other things happening. They didn't, they didn't realize it before that these people are playing this crazy game. And so the internet was huge, 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 huge to make this thing grow. Yeah. I remember uh, playing fantasy hockey and stuff like that up here in Canada. That's kind of our main thing up here is fantasy hockey. But I remember getting the newspaper on the Tuesday because that's when they had the scoring updates for every player in the national hockey league, all in one newspaper. You'd open it up and you'd go, team by team in your fantasy league and you'd make the manual adjustments. Kate, this guy's now up to 14 points. This guy's now up to 26, add it all up. And then you go to work or your school or whatever it was and like loose leaf piece of paper and put it onto the bulletin board. Here's the standings. Remember that? I mean, I can't yeah. imagine doing that anymore. No, it would be a, a real pain. What's funny about our league when I created it in 81, I just copied it. I, uh, Bill Robertson, who's my uh, uh, business partner, I walked up to, we usually do a Monday night football. We go show up at each other's house and switch each week. And I showed up at his house week one of 1981. And he had this piece of paper and he goes, hey, uh, look at this. He says, what's that? He says, my, it's my roster. If I if so-and-so score tonight, I win this week in fantasy football. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he showed it to me. And I went home that night. And within uh, two weeks, I created a, uh, a fantasy league, 1981. Uh, of my friends at work and it, we've had it ever since for 40 whatever years so you know again we just bumping into each other and that was six points per touchdown so we started out six 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 nothing else and 43 years later or 42 years later that's our scoring system i can't get these guys to change i'll show up i'm the commissioner but you know i, I <laughs> and the co-commissioner jerry regent he's been running the league for 20 years after i gave up uh, and we'll have these little meetings. It's hilarious. And every once in a while, I'll decide, hey, guys, why don't we go to 466-2010-10 and a PPR? So what the heck is that? I said, well, you got four points for passing touchdown, six. And, and they go, that's stupid. We've got the greatest league that's ever been existing. And I'm just saying, hey, this is a brainstorming session. Never mind. <laughs> they will not change. They will not change the scoring system. I, I've gone after my league with kickers for the last like 10 years. Like, let's get rid of these kickers. Let's add a flex. It, it's nothing major. No one even cares about the kicker. You guys drop them anyway. You guys drop a kicker, pick up another kicker. You don't need a kicker. But just to try and get a change going, it's impossible. I mean, it really is. It, it, the longer the league, the more opposed to change it happens to be, well, right? I mean, well, they, they're proud. I mean, the good thing is they're proud of their league. The beautiful thing about fantasy, you can do whatever you want. I remember a guy who they did yardage times one. So if a quarterback threw for 358 yards, you got 358 yards from the quarterback, et cetera. They loved it. They're 10 or 12. They loved it. Okay, great. 
That's what's beautiful about fantasy. You can do whatever you want to do with your rules in your little group. There's no national standard you have to follow by. There's no governing body. Creativity, and if you 12 people like it, go do it. Well, and the great thing about fantasy football is it has this weird way to cross over into pop culture, into TV, into radio, all this other stuff. We know what Matthew Barry's done with the television thing, with the Avengers. I think John Hansen was on Arrested Development. Well, hey, Amel, rumor has it you better call Sal because you've been on the show twice there as well, right? My wife and I were on Better Call Saul before it ended. It was a lot of fun. And you know what? what's the beauty about that is um, back in the mid-90s, let's just say, or even close to 2000, the NFL hated fantasy, scared to death of fantasy would tell player people players that are playing don't talk about fantasy because they thought it was gaming. And then all of a sudden, after a few years, they decided it was okay. And then they tried to take over fantasy and sue people saying you don't have the right to the stats, which they lost because stats are historical. The instant a stat is done, it's historical data. And uh, you don't own it. I don't own it. Nobody owns it. If I throw a pass and flag football for a touchdown, that's historical data. Somebody could be running a fantasy league. So they lost that, but it was kind of interesting, that complete evolution from hating fantasy, hating the NFL, hating fantasy, to then liking it, to then trying to take over it. And luckily they failed on the last uh, statement there. Well, now, now the NFL has their own leagues they run out of NFL.com, right? It's all it's all. Oh, yeah, they got here. their own and, and NFL media, to me, I want to say it's pretty much created because of fantasy. I don't know if it exists like it does right now if we didn't have fantasy. I don't think the NFL would exist as it does. I think the popularity and the numbers was greatly enhanced by fantasy. And I don't have any stats for that. I just got a feeling for that. I mean, you, I go into bar, I used to go into bar because they had nine TVs years ago. And I, I'd sit there and you just watch every game in the morning. It was heaven. Of course, now you can do that in your house. And there were, you know, there were Raider fans and, and, um, uh, Green Bay fans, and they go and watch their game and they get up and leave after it was over because that's all they cared about. But that evolved. That evolved to where these people started to watch and everything. And it was a beautiful thing, I think. I mean, you can still love your team. You don't have to hate everybody else. Well, I think the best way to figure out what the fantasy uh, importance is in the National Football League is look at Thursday Night Football the last few seasons. There's nobody in their right mind that's going to watch Thursday night football if there's no fantasy implications on the line. We like Denver Broncos and the New York Jets last year. Nobody's watching that outside of New York and Denver. Let's be honest. And yet here we all are glued to the worst possible game imaginable to see if a guy can pick up a first down or pick up an extra five yards. And what's that going to be for Sunday? What kind of adjustments? What kind of Monday miracle do I need? And have this conversation start about football on the Thursday, and we're still talking about it come Monday or Tuesday. The NFL, year-round, every day of the week, we are talking in the National Football League, not because of the National Football League, but because of fantasy football, more than likely. And now the gambling that the NFL has now embraced, outside of the players, obviously. But, I mean, the DraftKings, FanDuel, they're all sponsors now of the National Football League. And, again, the original gambling, I guess, probably was fantasy football. Well, it's a crossover. I personally have always played fantasy for the fun and the challenge. I We don't gamble. We don't say, hey, 20 bucks. Well, we'll, we'll put our our local league, which you know, 42 years old, we'll put 10 bucks in and we'll take a percentage and give it to the winner in the first and second. But to me, that's that's not gambling. We're not like every week going this, that, and the other thing. The other The other thing that is telling about what you're talking about is back before DFS and whatnot, you're you're sitting at your, your house and you're watching these games and all of a sudden it's week 12 or 13 and you're out of the playoffs. You're out of the, you, you didn't make the playoffs. And you sit down and you turn the TV on to the games and you're just going, there's something missing. I, I, I don't enjoy this game as much. Ah, fantasy football, I'm out. I don't have that desire. I don't have as much desire to watch was another testimony to what you're talking about and how important fantasy football and fantasy sports in general to the other sports it always gives everyone that one last chance to win dfs you're never out because you can set up a new lineup every day now you got fantasy playoff leagues that take place at with just the playoff teams but you mentioned like your league right now that 42 year old league they're not going ppr they're not changing any of the rules but before there was best ball the way that we know best ball exists today i mean it is underdogs taking it kind of by the the bull by the horns here so to speak 
you were kind of a big part of the creation of best ball. And not only that, but you're also one of the guys that kind of co-founded the world championship of fantasy football. We're talking about high stakes. And now we have like the NFFC and stuff like this in 2018, you got that Matthew Berry game changer award. Those are two huge, um, milestones in the fantasy football industry the creation of best ball and of course those high stakes leagues that you kind of came up with where did you see that kind of fitting into fantasy football when you first started like i, I don't imagine you're going back to your home league and go hey guys let's try a best ball league i mean i'm pretty sure no, that probably wouldn't have flown over very well they would, they'd kick me out of the league if i said something like that there aside from that yeah the i was in the fan x football league i don't know if you ever remember that and back in the in the 90s we used my fantasy league maybe before it was called my fantasy league. And we do slow drafts in the summer. We do one. And then they said, let's do two. So we have longer time to people to watch our commentary because it was slow and you'd put up, you'd put, you know, commentary on each of your picks. So, so somebody said, well, let's do um let's do a mock draft. I said, that that's not real. You know, people are not going to draft right. We need a real league. I said, well, let's do this. Let's have Terry, our commissioner, pick our best lineup on Tuesday. And we have no free agency. We just draft the team and we do all our comments and then total points. The they go, ah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's try that. And it was called the fantasy analysis draft 1998. And now, of course, best ball is insane. It's just absolutely insane. And Jeff Stein or Jeffrey Stein of my fantasy league, he came up with MFL 10s. I forget when. And, you know, my fantasy league, because he worked with my fantasy league and they adopted the MFL 10s, which really helped spur best ball. They sold it to um, fan ball or whatever they call themselves. And they progressed with that quite well. And of course, now, like you said, you've got underdog and oh man, it's just insane. I just, I just love best ball. I haven't played any yet. I don't get done with these magazines and I like the slow drafts. I like the fast drafts, but best ball is so great because you've maximized the enjoyment. You've maximized drafting and enjoying the draft. And then you don't have to spend as you could have 50 leagues, depending on how much you cost, how much money or whatnot. And you don't have to think about putting in lineups. It's really allowed you to enjoy to maximize that time. By the way, I actually drafted blindfold in a uh, best ball league. The bare knuckle. The bare knuckle, uh, which is 26 rounds, 30 seconds per pick. And I drafted blindfolded in that, which I'll tell you more about it later. But uh, that was a blast. I, I blew some minds away then. I couldn't do it now. I don't have as much brain power, but I didn't mess up a pick till week to, to around 21. Now people were getting loud and drunk. Oh, so I was telling yeah. the, the facilitator, you know, say the, per, the position and the, the player. So I knew where they were around the, the serpentine. It was a blast. It really was a blast, but I couldn't do it anymore. I'd have to, I'd have to practice that, but that was a lot of fun. The blindfold is the kicker for me because I, I think I could do something like that. I, I've done this before where I've gone into drafts without a magazine, without marking things down, and they've got the big board up, and I can kind of follow along this that. But blindfolding and not actually seeing the board, I mean, that changes the game a little bit when you don't have the vision. Yeah. Well, it's funny having, about it was, I was practicing with my wife. So, because I wasn't sure, like, am I nuts about this? I didn't tell anybody about it. I thought, I think I'm going to try this because it's just going to blow people's minds. I would sit on my couch and lean back on my couch because obviously there was no board. I gave her a three a, a three hundred uh, ranking, and I said just just go down and say so and so pick number one, so and so pick number two, and then you say my pick, and then I'll make a pick, and then you circle it. And if I mess up, that guy's already taken market. So I was sitting there, and I would just lean back in the chair, and I put a towel over my head just because I was whatever. And it dawned on me, I might as well be blindfolded. It's working. I can do this, and I don't have a I don't have a board in front of me. I could do this blindfold. So I said, I'm going to do it. It was, it was kind of scary, but it was a lot of fun. So between like being the first one to come up with best ball, being the first one to do a blindfold draft. It was fun. Yeah. I'm going to give it to you anyway. Cause I, I, no one, no one's going to actually fact check me on this show anyway. But when you look at this, people probably thought you were crazy, right? I mean, that's literally like the first guy to go, you know what? I'm, I'm going to, whatever that cow's got, I'm going to drink it. Like, to be that first person who comes up with the idea to be, hey, you know what, whatever that cow's got, I'm going to drink that. That's a, that's a crazy idea. It worked out really well, but someone's got to be the first one to come up with a crazy idea. And the best ball is kind of one of those the crazy best ball was just solving a problem. Because these, believe it or not, in 1998, two, two leagues were too much for these. I mean, now, even without best ball, people have four, five, six, seven. I, I know 
I know experts who play experts in leagues that have a hundred league. Yeah. That's a whole other story. So it was really just solving a problem. You know, I didn't really think about it. I didn't even think about it. You know, I'm in, you know, I didn't, I don't care about patenting stuff. I don't think you can patent something like that. I just, I'm there to create things and enjoy it. Now the world championship of fantasy football, which Len, Lenny Babano and I started was kind of a wild, another wild idea. Cause he and I, he would be advertising my magazines and, We'd be on the phone chit-chatting and talking and, you know, we're saying, you know, there's no Super Bowl of fantasy football. And we just were thinking for a few weeks. And then we call, I called him once. I said, you know, the World Series of Poker was on at the time. I says, see, what people don't like, there were certain con- con- fantasy conferences that came out where you came, talk to the experts, listen to the experts, uh, ask them questions. But people want to be in the event that's why the world series of poker was so popular they didn't come to ask questions and look they came to play the big guys and so and oh my god that's it that's it we make a big huge contest for a thousand plus bucks and we emailed our we took samples from both our eight meal mist emailed them out the response was insane and i had guys that would say i've been waiting nine years for this contest and one guy says if you don't have this in vegas you're nuts it was just like oh my god this is really a good idea. <laughs> and we put a website together in like a week. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was scary as hell. Because uh, the first year in 2020, uh, t- 2002, the NFL decided to have a Thursday night game before the Sunday night game, before the Sunday games, excuse me. So everybody flipped out because they're going, oh, my God, we're drafting on Saturday. There's going to be a game that's played and people went nuts uh, had already uh, ordered and so i said look let's do a poll let's put like three questions ignore thursday keep thursday let everybody change their lineup all the way to sunday morning even though thursday's already happened we put poll out and 67 percent said keep and i had a guy talk about critical decisions in a business early on that was huge because we'd have lost them if we just screwed that up and I had a guy who called me up. He was from New York. Just start screaming at me over the phone. Pardon. Oh, there, there he is again. He's like screaming at me. This is the stupidest idea. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just letting him talk. I'm letting him talk. And then finally he goes, takes a deep breath. But you know, you let me vote. And 67% voted yes. So I'm happy. I can't wait to get to Vegas. Man, this is going to be fun. And I'm just like. He's, he just wanted a bitch, and then he was good because we gave him the right to vote. That was huge. Hey, so what was it just like to be heard? I mean, that, that's really what it is. Now, when I think of fantasy football, one of the best parts of it for me is still, and it always will be, the live draft. You'll never replace the live draft. Online drafts are fun and this and that, but there's something special about walking into a draft, going out to your local store there, grabbing a magazine, because we all do it, I mean, we might have, we could print off spreadsheets, but it's nicer to go in there with a magazine, right? It feels better. In 1990, you mentioned that you basically founded the Fantasy Sports Publications there and started the Pro Forecast magazine, which is still going strong today. Did you ever imagine 34 years later that you'd still be able to pick this up on newsstands? You know, I never really thought about that, but probably not. It just, you know, you're just trying to, you're trying to get a hold. You've got an interesting idea. That you find out somebody else had already been doing, a couple of three that I've been doing, but you said, hey, I'm just going to keep going. But, you know, I probably not not, not thought it would last this long. But it's, it's been a blast. And it's not just the forecast. I mean, there's a, like a group of like three other magazines that are all tied into these publications, right? We've got uh, the Football Diehards one. We've got uh, another, I think, another pro forecast as well, right? There's, yeah, we have there's two four... pro forecasts and a Diehards this year. Yeah, so we've got multiple publications that have been going strong for multiple years. I think the Diehards one was, uh, I can't remember, 25 years, so 26 years now we're going on to that with the Diehards. So these are not just one-and-done type magazines. We've seen that throughout the industry, that a lot of these magazines are one-and-done. This has kind of stood the test of time, which is really uh, kudos to you and your team that have kind of been able to put this on, because it's not easy. Putting these publications together isn't easy. It's really well, time-consuming. Great people like you in the magazine that that make it interesting to read. I mean, well, I won't go that far, but there are a lot of great people that do contribute to all these yeah, publications. We've we got people from the NFL, ESPN, Yahoo, and of course, people like you and I that aren't part of a major 
major network. And then, you know, there's always a, a, a challenge between these network people and, and just, just us that, uh, because that's the beauty. That's the, also the beauty of the world championship and fantasy football is you could be driving a truck and win championships. This has nothing to do with anything, your educational skill. It has to do with just a normal person or an expert who studies and, and plans their drafts and plans their free agency and can win. And that is gold for popularity of fantasy sports and fantasy football. I love how you mentioned the NFFC there and how that kind of got started where it was the regular fan joining. Uh, one of the big football the fantasy WCOFF, things. WCOFF, by the way. The WCOFF, okay. World Championship of Fantasy Football. It's yeah, they just having that everyday fan join in with these experts. It's kind of, I remember my first indulgement into that whole thing. It's kind of the Scott Fishbowl. And I originally signed up as a fan, a fan who's been playing for 20 plus years at the time, but as a fan. And I'm not going to lie. I'm a petty individual by nature. I mean, it, it is what it is. I got no problem admitting it. But the reason I started my own website is because I, I seen the word fan next to my name. And then I seen expert next to be someone else's name in their publication that they worked with. And then I went back and I kind of read some stuff. I'm like, I can do this. Why am I just a fan? I mean, I could be more than just a fan. I mean, I've got the knowledge to be more than that. And I think that's what the great thing is about the world championship of fantasy football. What the good thing is about some of these other drafts is there's a lot of fans that have more knowledge than those who are doing this for a living. I mean, it, it's the truth about it out there. And if you have that knowledge, if you want to do something with that, there are opportunities out there for you to get involved in something like this, the network, and maybe find yourself a, a spot out there, maybe a small niche or something along those lines. Now, when you listen to this interview about, does it have kind of a, a familiar type feel to you? Because I know I personally have a deep appreciation of fantasy football past and present and recording it for future generations. Kind of like maybe that old Pioneer series, that Pioneers in the Industry series that you did way back when. Now, when you sat down with all the greats, the, the trailblazers of our fantasy football world, what were some of the more fascinating stories that you were able to hear? Well, one of them, uh, oh, I forgot his name off that, Tinker. Uh, he was so funny. He started out just make cracking jokes, and he was on a fantasy uh, show on TV. I forget what I think it was Fox, and there were like three people on it. I think um, Terry Bradshaw was on it too for a while, and that was like earth-shatteringly breaking. It was like 95, 96. There's a TV show about fantasy football on Fox, and that was just like, oh my gosh, that's that's incredible that that's happening like that. So that that was a big one right there. Then what are what are some maybe your favorite stories that you heard? Like, I mean, there's some there's gonna be some crazy things that you kind of went through that series. Yeah, I'll tell you a crazy story. It's it's more ready to the world championship of fantasy football. But when we got ready, you know, we we're getting forms in. It was all by mail. You had to sign a sign a form and send it in. And we got okay, 250. And we're going to try to get to like 600, 550. So we had these these 250. We're gonna put create the first league, 12 and and get it up on the message board to kind of start start you know showing us it's happening so we did the 12 we put it on the message board and some guy replied oh yeah sure and i got i said i emailed him what all right you know one of the message board. what do you mean sure he says yeah ha 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 funny funny what are you talking about he says yeah the first guy in your league is w kaufman ward kaufman w cough w c o f f man the name of our contest was the first guy out of 250 envelopes that we picked now that's if there's not an omen that's an omen right there and that was just incredible and as a matter of fact the draft people were coming up shaking his hand it was table one obviously and the guy who won the original wcff in 2002 was sitting i think it was pick 10 so he's around the corner he's like who is this guy some rock star just people were going up to him. He knew no idea who this guy was. He was the namesake of our business, who was the first guy selected. That that was a while. But uh, I'm trying to think if there's some other. I'm sure there's a million million other things that's more related to uh, to fantasy in general. I remember going to um, Oakland, California, and inter interviewing Andy Musalimus, 
who was in the original fantasy draft in 1963, August 1963. He has since passed away. He was a very nice man. And just listening to him talk about, you know, way back in the 60s, even in the 50s, 59 fantasy baseball, they started a league called the Superior Tile Summer Invitational Home Run Tournament. Of course, Superior Tile was uh, Wilford Winkenbach's business. And another good story that I think is very interesting is Wilford Winkenbach in the early 60s bought 10% of a team, which then became the Oakland Raiders. And they, he was doing fantasy baseball and fantasy golf. So when he did that in 63, or actually the fall of 62, him and his buddy said, we got to create the, a, a fantasy football league. And they took the bylaws of baseball and that they had and kind of souped it up a little bit. And they, you had to be a ticket holder, a PR, you had to do something to help the Raiders become popular. So fantasy football was created by Bill Winkenbach to help the Oakland Raiders when they were in the AFL. Now that's a story. And that's why you come on to Behind the Grind to catch little tidbits like that each and every week. Now that's something I've learned, but what is something that you've learned about yourself through fantasy sports? Ooh, learned about myself. Wow. Uh, I got to think about that. Like I've learned it's okay to be wrong. I hate being yeah. wrong, but I, oh, I've okay. kind of come to grips with, hey, fantasy football, fantasy sports, it, it, it discriminates against nobody. It will humble you no matter who you are. Well, it, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I'm competitive, but at this stage in my life, you know, especially when you're running contests, you know, online or, or mostly uh, in person like Vegas, you're, 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 you're trying to give people a great time. So it's all about them. It's not about you. And, you know, entertainment value, doing a blind draft, you know, at a party before the draft, you know, that's a little me. But it gave people, I had guys walk up to me afterwards and says, I was going to leave. And when you put that blindfold on, I'm staying to see what happens here. But, you know, being more of a, uh, a more well-rounded person and not always talking about myself and letting people who call up, you know, I get people who call up and just want to talk for a couple of minutes. They order the product and they just want to talk about their stuff and you just shut up. I remember one time I was at a draft at my kid's house a few years back, a bunch of 22, 23 year olds and this old man. And this guy came in, he goes, I got this domain. I'm going to make this great site, uh, fantasy super, super draft or something or super sleepers. And he's, I said, Oh, tell me about it. And he's telling me, Oh, I'm going to have all this stuff on my site. And, and I'm like, no, he's not. He's never going to do it because it's too hard to do it. But I just listened to him and and he had a great time talking about it. And then later after the draft, my kid comes and says, why didn't you tell him about your business and your fan football diehard site? I said, it was his time to talk. He wanted to talk about his stuff. I don't need to tell him. I don't need to one up him. I just let him talk. And that's one of the things I probably learned over the years. I think that's Be a humble. valuable lesson. Be humble. I think that's a very valuable lesson because it's hard for a lot of people just to shut up and listen. It really is. It's something you really have to learn and work on. Uh, and that's how you build relationships in this industry. And speaking of those relationships, obviously, when you've been around this th game as long as you have, relationships have played an important part in it. So what are some of those important relationships that you've been able to experience, some of those that you kind of respect mm -hmm. along the way that have helped you get to where you are? Well, certainly Bob Harris and I have been working together since, oof, 95-ish. He had the TFL report, and he was doing all sorts of fun stuff. Back then, the faxing was big because the uh, – Internet wasn't, so he and I both did faxing, and he helped us write. And really, we've, we've how long is that? 95 to 23. That's a lot of years. I can't subtract them now. I'm too old. But Bob and I have been working so closely together, and uh, I think we make a pretty darn good team. Uh, as we have things that, you know, he does well, and I, I do a couple things well. And, uh, you know, that's been a really uh, great relationship that we've been able to you know, do this business for a long time. And I think we're going to do it for a little long, longer time also. Um, of course, my wife, uh, in 18 years of my wife, she's really helped me. She helps a lot of ways, you know, just taking care of me, you know, just doing simple things around the house as a housewife, but uh, communicating with me. And, you know, we get out like today is her birthday, believe it or not. So we're going to go. I got like five things. We're going to bounce around the city and and get some cheesecake and bring it home and go to dinner with the, with the group kids and, and um, various other things. And she's been a big part of my life. So those are the two that stick out in my head with that question. 
Uh, great. Uh, I love that. Uh, so I do feel that relationship, especially our spouses, right? I mean, th- that's probably yep. the most important part about it all because there's not a lot of people that would tolerate what we do. So uh, kudos to all the wives you know, and girlfriends and spouses out there. You're, um, you know, like I accidentally did this. I didn't think about it a month ago that it was her birthday. And she's fine. She's doing some stuff right now. And we plan the day out. We've got another couple of things. we got a grandkid that's going to go take some tests at the university that's living with us for four years. We were her guardians. So, you know, we're going to go do that, you know, on her birthday. Actually, you make it fun. You make it fun and you take little times out. Like sometimes we'll just go out and I'll say, hey, I got got 20 minutes right now. Let's go walk around the backyard and look at the plants and maybe pull some weeds, you know, just hanging out in the garden that you can do right at your house that is special time you can make things special you can make tough things special you just got to realize how to do that well you really you've realized how to make fantasy football special for so many people you've accomplished so much in the space more than most people could even dream of stepping in uh co-founding like the fsd uh wa there uh being nom- uh, introdu- in- inducted sorry, into the 2011 class, uh, creator of Fantasy Nation there, a master's in electrical engineering, first in your class, I believe, too, if we want to continue uh, yeah, those accolades. I was number one in my class as a bachelor. How the hell that happened, I have no idea. I'm a dyslexic electrical engineer. But it was a bad class. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but, <laughs> sorry. Um Let's just pretend that you're not doing what you're doing now. I, I don't know, and maybe let's take off the uh, a Sunday off the uh, off the thing here as well. But what would you be doing if you weren't dealing with fantasy sports right now? Would you be playing chess? Maybe you'd be a pottery artist there. Maybe a graphologist. I mean, I, I can submit you some handwriting examples if you Study want. Graphology would be good. I could do. Uh, we're doing a book. It's like our 16th year of this book because we'll peck at it. You know, and we're about 90 percent done. I'd finished that book and it's on the uh, San Ildefonso Pueblo in Northern New Mexico. And I like graphology, maybe be good to get into um, some kind of a um, police kind of thing where you read, you know, you do graphology as a professional. The fun thing was the, what's it called? The genealogy uh, DNA thing where you find people through uh, DNA. Ancestry.com type thing. Well, it's actually, you take take somebody's DNA and you put it in one of those things. And it gives you cousins and whatnot. And then you you find these people that are, you know, three or four generations down of the person you're trying to figure out. And then you have to grow a tree up to this level. And then you can figure out, oh, it's one of these five people. It's it's called uh, genetic genealogy, I think it's called. That would be fun to do. Well, all I know is I'm glad that you're not into the whole uh, graphologist type thing. And I'm glad that we send our writing into you via email. Because if I sent you my handwriting samples in... I'm probably not doing any work for these magazines. Let's be honest. You'd be like, oh, no, this is in the other yeah. pile right now. I'll give you an example. It was hilarious. We don't really know it that well. We studied it a few years ago. Loosely. There's still a lot to learn about graphology. It's a very intimate thing. This lady came over. She's the FBI person doing a uh, security clearance for somebody. So they were asking us. All, she was asking us all these questions. you know. And I was looking at her handwriting. And then after she got done, I said, can you write? I told him we we're in graphology. He says, can you just write a paragraph, sign your name, put the date? She was interested. So she and my wife, you know, spent a minute or two looking at it. It was pretty clean except one thing. And I said, I said, so ma'am, so you're having trouble with your dad? And she's like, how did you know that? That was fun. Uh, that's a little bit mind blowing. I, I, I'm almost tempted to send it into you, but I'm afraid of what those results may end up being, right? It's like, Oh, this guy's got some issues. It fascinates me that you can take writing style and really, it's not black and white, but you can create, you can get a feel for somebody in certain ways that uh, is surprising to me that you can do that with handwriting. It really stuns me, even, you know, but uh, so it's entertaining. And and also you can learn. I mean, if I was like uh, somebody who was um, hiring people or whatnot or can uh, HR or whatever, I would, if you could legally do it, I would have them do a, a writing test because you can learn a lot about them just from that writing. You don't have to ask them questions. Well, I've been compared to having a doctor's writing without the seven years of education that kind of goes with it. So we won't go into that any more, any further into detail, but I will ask you this last question here and I'll let you get back to everything you got to go plan for the day. 
what's one piece of advice that you would like any everyone to kind of listen to trying to get into the fantasy football industry? And then one piece of advice that you kind of live by, maybe your best piece of parenting advice that you've either received or that you've given? Well, I think the best advice would be go find a company to work for that's doing fantasy sports or fantasy football content or whatever. That's similar to like what you want to do. Go work for them for you know a year or maybe even longer and really learn that business. And then, of course, you're going to absorb what's working, what's not working, how to run a business, and then just start out on your own. You, you can't just jump into it. I, I, you can jump into it. But I think it would be wiser to work for somebody. And you're building your name, too, while you're getting paid to do that. Advice. Advice that I received. Uh, my dad thought I was nuts. So that was the advice I ignored. I did the first magazine. And he didn't know about it. And then when it was done, it was like September uh, 1990. And he came into the house and, and just to visit. And I picked up the magazine and I handed it to him. I says, hey, Dad, look what, look what we created. And he looked down at the magazine for a few minutes and said, how much money did you lose? Quote, unquote. That advice I did not follow. And it turned out pretty good. I really, I really did it. I, the idea is I, I didn't have any pat me on the back or say, go do this. Uh, I, did it, I did it with my own stupidity. Hey, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes uh, stupid luck is b- better than good luck when it's all said and done, it's right? I mean, what? I mean, I didn't know, you know, that fantasy was going to go nuts. I, I just thought it. I just felt it was a, you know, playing fantasy for nine, ten, nine years before we started. You, you go to the newsstand. You, you're trying to gather data. The internet's not there, and you're going. There's nothing there for the fantasy player. Oh, let's put something there. Now there was because I just didn't know about it. You know, you just. It, you know, some of it's luck, I guess, and hard work. You got to put hard work in. And I didn't quit my day job for six years or whatever it was, about six years. I, I worked at Sandia Labs and I used my 24 days of vacation. We used to get 24 days of vacation at Sandia Labs. And I worked the majority of that time and weekends and nights, sweat equity, putting magazine the magazine together. And I didn't tell anybody at work that I was doing that. And I, we, Bill and I had a radio station in 93, after like three years in, uh, not a radio, a radio show, fantasy radio show here locally. And they would do ads for our show. And I was walking down the hall one day and I didn't want these people to know I was doing it because then they think I wasn't 100% behind the group at Sandia. So this guy walks up and he goes, hey, Abel, you doing a fantasy show on that sports talk sh- channel? And I said, no, no, he says, oh, it must be a relative. I figured you'd never be able to do something like that. And then he walked off. Oh, yeah, now it's on. When you hear that, now, now it's on. I don't, yeah, think you... I, I don't let those things get to me. i just glad he figured it wasn't me because I didn't want it to get around the office. Well, hard work and stupid luck pays off in a lot of cases there. And, uh, Amel, it's been fantastic having you on the show. I mean, you mentioned that stupid luck. I mentioned the guy who discovered cow's milk was worth drinking. So, Hey, that turned out pretty good too. And there's only one way to figure that out. And there's only one way to figure out that fantasy football is a niche for you. And joining us on this Behind the Grind podcast is one way to understand whether this is for you or where it's not for you. And we hope that you've enjoyed it this time. And Amel, what do we got going on? We got magazines coming out here all summer long here with the football diehards, with the pro forecast as well. When can we expect those to drop? Yeah, pro forecast about the 4th or 5th of July. And then uh, the diehards will be the 20, no, the august 3rd or something like that and then the revised pro forecast is about the 10th of august and of course we got all our stuff on football diehards that that we're pounding away with as we usually do so mags are tough we're exhausted it is but it's all worth it in the end and we hope that you go out to newsstands if you're watching this head out to the newsstands get those magazines and make sure you give yourself the advantage heading into your fantasy football draft so we will see you next time for mel i'm matt Donnelly, and this has been behind the grind see you next time thank you matt thank you